You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Tough to watch, huh? Next week will be the 10th anniversary of uh, 9-11. And uh, even as tragic and tough as that was to watch, in the midst of all that tragedy, there were some pretty amazing scenes that also showed hope uh, taking place, uh, showed people caring for other people. Uh, compassion was pretty easy to see at uh, parts of that. Um, I asked Guy Myers to put that together for us. Guy always does a, uh, a good job, and, um, and especially like some of the timing of it, that uh, part of the beam structure that looked like a cross, you know, the way that was timed in uh, to, uh, to that song. Um, yes, I was very heathen, by the way, that was a heathen uh, song by, by uh, a secular group by the name of Journey uh, on a new CD that they brought out that deals with that, that talks about uh, a city of hope. Um, before we kind of get into the message, uh, and the reason we're doing a two-part series is just because of, uh, of 9-11 coming up before we jump into our uh, six-week series entitled Not a Fan, but uh, I want you to, to notice just some, some stats or some numbers and things we're going to bring up. We'll do more of this uh, next week, but here are the times uh, that it took place. First tower was hit at 8.46 a.m., <clears throat> the second one at 9.02 uh, a.m. The uh, towers stood uh, respectfully in that order for 56 minutes and for 102 minutes. Um, filled with people that was just showing up for a normal day of work. Could have been many, many more people there. I was listening to a documentary last night on television uh, about it, and it happened to be a primary day. So some people were running a little bit late for work because they had uh, gone to uh, vote. Uh, so there's an extra benefit for them out of having their civic duty and, uh, and trying to vote and be engaged in our, in our government. But um, could have been um, a lot more people to die. Once the towers started to fall, uh, each one of them took around 12 seconds to fall. I don't know. I should have looked into it to see how long it took to build each one of the towers, but only 12 seconds to fall once they started to fall after they stood burning for that, uh, for that length of, of time. Of course, uh, another airplane hit the Pentagon, and uh, then another airplane that was uh, you know, en route to try and do uh, some more damage that had also been seized by terrorists uh, went down in a field, Flight 93, in rural Pennsylvania, due to the heroics of some of the passengers on board. The uh, figure that I have up for the number of people killed in the attacks has really been uh, updated recently, I guess, this week, because it's a little bit over 2,900. Uh, you would think they would know everything uh, by now, but I'll get into some more statistics last week as far as uh, the bodies they were able to find and in, uh, in, in things uh, like that. Uh, like I said, next week is the anniversary of it. We'll look at some more statistics. Uh, I can still remember that morning, uh, probably a lot of you can. You know, you kind of build your lives sometimes around 
events that are tragic that help you uh, kind of transport yourself back and remember exactly when it happened. I remember when I was in the second grade and, and President Kennedy was shot. I remember exactly uh, where I was as a child in the second grade. When 9-11 happened, I was at my previous church, my secretary, uh, called that morning before I'd made it into the office and uh, told me to turn the TV on, and I sat there all day long watching the TV and, uh, and watching what was uh, taking place uh, on that day. So it was a very, uh, very dark day for our uh, nation, uh, and our nation still uh, faces some dark days right now for different reasons. Uh, I, I want to encourage you between now and next Sunday, because next Sunday I'd really like to take time to honor uh, you know, people like a, a military or uh, emergency personnel, police officers, firemen. If, if you have any in your family, please invite them to come. Tell them to come in uniform uh, if, if they would like to do that, because we'd like to, you know, during the preliminary part of the service, to kind of take time to honor them just a little bit. Uh, next week also, we're going to give everybody a book by the title, uh, Never Forget, dot, 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 hope uh, on it. It's a uh, book that Nelson Bible Publishers brought out uh, that has several authors in it, such as Billy Graham, Max Licato, and others. And we're going to hand those out to you next week uh, as we try and focus on, on this. They brought the book out. I think, to focus our attention in the right way, which is in the direction of hope. Because it's awfully easy in our lives when we're going through some very negative things, such as what happened in 9-11, instead of having hope for us to kind of fall into despair, uh, for us to feel like there's not any hope because of what might be taking place. And like I said, it was a very dark day in our, in our nation on that date when it happened. A lot of us, maybe for the first time in years, might have felt vulnerable, you know, because we don't have, tend to have things like that happen that much in our nation. You know, certainly many people, you know, felt, you know, kind of terror-stricken, uh, you know, discouraged, depressed, despondent, uh, you know, afraid to fly in airplanes, you know, all, all kinds of things and emotions that people were going through, probably a mile long, you know. And like I said today, even though that happened 10 years ago, today our nation still needs hope because we have things going on with the economy and political polarization taking place in our nation. And, you know, some of you may be uh, needing hope because of a sickness or a loss of a loved one, or, or you might be underneath some type of economic dark cloud or unemployment dark cloud in your life, and, and you're really needing hope and that's why we wanted to do this series this two-part series and talk about hope we need to never forget hope that's the title the, the title of the book that we're giving out exact same title never forget and i think they intentionally did the dot 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 thing because you know we tend to do this in our flesh when something happens like 9 11 we tend to be like i'll never forget what you did to me right i mean that, that's kind of the way we go in our flesh you know that's kind of where our, our our nation is you know don't you mess with us we'll never ever forget what you've done and a lot of times we do that in our personal lives when, when we're facing some type of affliction and someone is you know mistreating us or whatever the case might be it's like i'm going to never forget what you've done well the book in this series is about 
never forgetting, but it's not holding on to bitterness from the past. It's about how we never need to forget hope. We always need to hold on to hope and never, ever forget hope. This week we're going to be talking about the name of hope. Next week we're going to talk about rejoicing in hope. Do you, do you realize that the Bible teaches, and we'll look at it in detail next week, but I want to prime you a little bit for it next week and maybe use this to invite people to come by. Even when you're going through immense tragedy, you can still have hope. Do you realize that? And that's what we'll focus on next week. But, but for this week, we're going to talk about the name of hope. And the name of hope, by the way, as much as I appreciate, you know, maybe what the mayor of New York did during that time or, or what the president may do then or do now or whatever the case is or, you know, uh, other politicians, what they may try and do or our emergency personnel and, you know, how they risk their lives and everything like that. I, I want you to understand something. The name of hope does not involve those people. The, the name of hope that we're going to talk about today is on a higher plateau. Look what the Bible says. But Jesus knew what they were planning. In other words, Jesus, uh, the Pharisees were all ways out to get him, and he had just kind of allowed his disciples to do something before him and also performed a miracle on the Sabbath, and they didn't like it, and they were out to get him. I'll say more about that in a moment. So they're starting to plot to kill him. So Jesus knew that. So he left that area, and many people followed him, and he healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. And then this is the prophecy that it talks about from the Old Testament. God's saying, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious in his name. I want you to focus on that last verse. And his name will be the hope of all the world. So I was studying in the office one day for this short series and trying to look some verses up. first passage I found was this. And I read that last sentence, that last verse, that his name would be the hope of all the world. Brandy McBride, our secretary, I yelled for Brandy out in the outer office. I said, come here, I want to read something to you. <laughs> Man, I had chill bumps. His name is the hope of all the world. Look at the way some other translations put it. Uh, what I read to you a minute ago is a New Living Translation. I don't normally use that one a lot, but I, that's, I just really like the way it put it. His name will be the hope of all the world. The NIV puts it like this. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And then the message paraphrase states it like this. The mere sound of his name will signal hope even among far off unbelievers. What we're going to talk about as we look at the verses of the text that I read just a moment ago in Matthew. We're going to talk about this. Why is the name of Jesus the hope of all the world? Why is his name the hope of all the world? First reason is this. The first answer to that question is simply this. Jesus knows everything. Now that might sound simplistic. 
or oversimplified. And, and I'm afraid sometimes what we do is kind of read past things like that or little simple truths about Jesus that ought to really have deep meaning and blessing for us. We'll kind of cruise past it and not think about all it ought to mean. It told us there in the first part of verse 15, Matthew writes, but Jesus knew what they were planning. The word used in, in the Greek language there means to have an absolute knowledge, to know absolutely. Jesus knew without any doubt what the Pharisees were plotting, what they were planning. He knew what was going on in their heart and in their minds. They were planning to kill him. Now, here's what was the final straw that you know, broke the Pharisees back, I guess, uh, at this point in time. They had already been upset with Jesus for a while. What happens on this day it's on the Sabbath, and Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and he's allowing them to pluck grain. So they are eating on the Sabbath, collecting grain, working and eating on the Sabbath. So they want to kill Jesus over it. You know, it's all, by, by the way, the Sabbath is not Sunday. You understand that. You know, we celebrate on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And people come up with all kinds of rules about things you're not supposed to do on Sunday. And I can't find them in the Bible. You know. And here are these, these Pharisees in Jesus' day. They've got this, you know, this mindset. They would add things to the law and predetermine what they thought it should mean and make up their own rules. And they're upset because Jesus is letting his disciples walk around. So they come up and they debate Jesus over it. And he said, don't you remember David when his men were hungry? They went in to the holy place and ate some bread. Not just walking down the road. They went in the holy place and ate bread that they technically weren't supposed to eat. And another thing that happens right here in this story is this. There's this man, as Jesus is on his way to go to worship, He's got a withered hand, and Jesus tells him to stick his hand out, and he heals it. And the Pharisees get upset because Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath. So basically, they're wanting to kill Jesus at this point, other reasons, because it's been building up in them. But the, the straw that kind of breaks it on their back for them is simply this, Jesus allowed his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath and eat it, and Jesus healed a man that had a withered hand. So they wanted to kill him. Now add to that the fact that the Pharisees were jealous because people were following Jesus around and not them around, but that kind of gives you a little bit of the background. The, the main point I want you to get, though, is this. Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. Nobody told him. No one had to tell him. Because Jesus, God in the flesh, knew their very thoughts. There are multiple examples of Jesus just knowing somebody's heart or knowing what somebody is thinking in the New Testament. Jesus knows everything. Now, by the way, before I kind of apply it to what we're talking about today, that can be a positive and a negative. Amen? Because Jesus knowing everything means this. It means that he knows the bad stuff that we've got kicking around in our head and in our heart. But he also knows the good stuff that's going on in your 
head of your heart. So it might bless you, it might concern you a little bit that Jesus knows everything. But the way I want you to apply it today as we talk about hope is this. Because Jesus knows everything, there is not one thing that you ever face in your life that Jesus does not understand and know fully about. Matter of fact, He knew about it before it ever happened. Whatever it is you may be going through in your life, if you're facing financial difficulty, if you've got some health issues right now, if, if, the, if the economy is just you know, kind of busting your chops and, and you're unemployed or whatever the case might be, and there's this dark cloud maybe rushing over you, similar to the cloud we saw there in 9-11. It's just not a literal cloud. It's this dark cloud, ominous cloud over your life. And you're wondering, does anyone know what I'm going through? Does anyone care? You need to understand something. Jesus knows everything, period. And because he knows, we can have hope. I'm, I'm not an island to myself. I'm not all somewhere without anyone caring for me and loving me and being concerned about me. Jesus knows each and everything that we go through. And the reality that Jesus knows should really bring hope to our hearts and to our lives because Jesus knows nothing escapes his view. He knows everything in advance that you'll ever go through. You understand why they can give you hope? Just knowing that he knows. See, the great thing about that is sometimes we can't even explain what we're going through. You ever been there? <laughs> Your emotions are just all over the place and you're trying to explain it. You might not can't even explain it to your spouse to where they understand or your best friend to where they understand. Hey, Jesus knows. Not only does Jesus know, Jesus cares. And Jesus cares especially for those who are needing hope, for those that are in need of hope. The Bible said that he knew what the Pharisees were thinking, what they were plotting, what they were planning. So he left that area, and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but warned them not to reveal who he was. Now, you may be wondering, well, why did Jesus leave? I mean, was Jesus scared of the Pharisees? No, that's not why. Many times Jesus would confront the Pharisees about the hypocrisy in their lives. But at this point in time, they're plotting to kill him. But here's the deal with that. It is not time for Jesus to die yet. Remember who he is. He's God in the flesh. He understands the whole divine scheme of things. He understands what God the Father's divine schedule is. And it is not time for Jesus to be seized and die just yet. Jesus had more things he needed to teach his disciples. Jesus had more lives that he needed to touch. And man, touch him, he did. Because as he is leaving the area, people are following him, and he's healing these people that are sick. Look at the word heal for a moment. It's the same Greek word that we derive our English word therapeutic or therapy from. Jesus heals the sick people among him. It means to wait upon in a menial way, so it gives us the idea of Jesus being their servant. It means to adore 
God, even as though you know what you're doing is, is like an act of worship. So he's adoring his Father, God the Son adoring the Father as he's doing this. But it also especially means to relieve, especially to relieve somebody of disease. So these sick people are there without any hope until Jesus passes by. And Jesus walks by and he heals them. The most therapeutic thing that could ever happen in their lives was for Jesus to come and to heal them. The most therapeutic thing you and I can seek out when we're in need of hope is to just hang out with Jesus more. To spend more time in the Word, to spend more time in prayer. We need to hang out with Him. When you're going through hopeless situations in your life, the best therapy for that, the best therapy session you can ever have is just to go and spend some time with Jesus. And allow Him to speak to your need. Allow Him to speak to your heart. Understand that He cares, that He knows, that He's compassionate. The best therapy we can ever get would be to allow Jesus to touch us. And these sick people were there without any hope until Jesus came by. You do realize in that day and time, they couldn't just load up in the car and drive down to Baptist Hospital or Duke. You understand that? I better say, or Fry. We got some people here working at Fry, and probably got some people working at Caldwell, and, you know, so close hospitals too, okay? <laughs> they couldn't do that. The only hope they had was Jesus walking by. And to be honest with you, we're in the same situation, especially when it comes to our lives emotionally and the need that we have for hope. And instead of being filled with despair, and, and I mean, really, are we not in a time right now in our nation where a lot of people are despairing? I mean, is it fun to watch your retirement account go down the tubes? You know? Is it fun to sit back and watch the news and... and and it seems to me like the only thing that our politicians can do anymore is quibble back and forth. I'm about of the opinion, and I'm not running for any office, so I can probably say this, and this, you know, this is the thing that covers all bases, so I'm not being political one way or the other. I'm about of the opinion. We just need to vote the whole bunch out and start fresh over again. <laughs> I mean, it's depressing to sit back and, and just see that all the time. Just everything be so polarized. I mean, our, our, our nation is hurting. There are people who are hurting that they can't buy groceries, you know? And, and they need to understand Jesus cares for them. He, he especially cares when someone is in need of hope. Whatever it is you're facing, He cares. When those towers came down on 9-11... I can promise you something. Jesus cared. All those lives that were lost, Jesus cared. Every spouse that did not have their spouse laying beside them in bed that night, Jesus cared. Every child that did not have a parent come home, Jesus cared. I'm talking this one off the top of my head. I'll probably bring the stat in next week and everything. But I think there are around 1,300 orphans because of 9-11. Can I tell you something about that? Jesus cared.
He cared then, he cares now. He cares about what you're going through. And we go on these pity parties where we think nobody cares. And we get down in the dumps thinking nobody cares. I promise you there's at least one that cares and his name's Jesus. Because he cares, we can have hope. Let me in the case, can I ask you a question? And why in the world did Jesus tell them if he cared after he healed them, don't tell anybody? Because somebody might be thinking, well, Jesus really cared. He'd say, all right, go tell everybody, bring people back, and then I'll heal them. Well, see, here's the reason why Jesus did that. And I'm going to kind of play with your mind just a minute, maybe. But the reason Jesus told them that is because Jesus really cares. Now, here's why I say that. Jesus did not come to be a political figure. He didn't come to be a warrior king. He didn't come to chase off the Roman Empire like they had hoped. Their concept of who the Messiah would be was an erroneous concept of him in his first advent when he comes the first time. That's not the reason why Jesus came. So Jesus did not want, I mean the Pharisees are already ready to kill him. It wasn't time for him to die. Jesus didn't want them going out and tooting his horn. The reason being is this. Jesus didn't come to be famous. Jesus didn't come to promote himself. Jesus did not come to be grabbed by all these people because he's healing them and, and be put on some kind of pedestal. Jesus came to be nailed to a cross. He came to shed his blood that through his shed blood, you and I, as we look to him and trust in him, can have everlasting life. That's why at that point Jesus said, don't go tell anybody, because it wasn't time yet, and that wasn't his purpose anyway of self-promotion. Jesus came to die and shed his blood for our sins. And as he does that, it shows that he really, really cares. He warned them, he admonished them because he really cares. You see, we're sinners kind of like these people were sick physically. We're spiritually sick. And the only hope we have is Jesus. And Jesus cares. Why is the name of Jesus the hope of the world? First of all, he knows. He knows everything we're going through. And he cares. But the third thing I want you to see in this text that we're looking at in Matthew today is this. The third answer to this question, why is the name of Jesus the hope of the world, is simply this. Jesus is the chosen one who brings hope. Now, I didn't try to be clever today and come up with like you know a lot of points and stuff that you know sounded clever. I'm just taking things right out of this text of Scripture because it's all there. And I think it all gives us reason why uh, the name of Jesus is the hope of the world. Look what the Bible says. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. God the Father is saying, look at Jesus. Look at my Messiah. Look at the one that I am sending, whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him. Jesus God the Son was handpicked, the second part of the triune God was handpicked in eternity past from the very beginning of time to be the one that would come and go to the cross and shed his blood for our sins. Jesus was handpicked by God the Father to be the chosen one who would come and by virtue of what he does bring hope into this world. Jesus came for that very reason. He was chosen 
to bring hope into the midst of our world that we live in. And Isaiah prophesying what God the Father wanted us to know said this, look at Jesus. You realize that's what all the miracles are about when Jesus healed those sick people that we just talked about a moment ago and all the other miracles that Jesus performs, you know, multitudes and multitudes of miracles. The Bible even tells us in John that all of it's not even included and if everything were written down, the, the world wouldn't even, you know, have enough room to have enough you know, room for all the books it would take. Why did he do all that stuff? Here's why he did all that stuff. The word people would look at him and say, he's the one. That's why. Each miracle confirmed that he wasn't just some other teacher, just some other religious leader. Each miracle that he performed showed evidence that he is the one. I, years ago, I, we were doing a message, and I, and I showed you some odds that I came across statistically. But, it, man, it's like, it, it, it's crazy, you know, the odds. From, from the time of the beginning of history until now, for anyone to fulfill only eight of the prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled a whole lot more. It's the same amount of odds as if the whole state of Texas were covered with silver dollars 36 inches deep. And you go out and just reach in and happen to pick the right one. That's some pretty significant odds. And Jesus fulfilled more than eight. He fulfilled all of them. Showing that he's the chosen one, the one that people needed to look to, the one that would usher hope and bring hope into this world. By the miracles that Jesus performed, here's what he's doing. He's fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah to come. And the word that Jesus here fulfills, the interesting word of the Greek, it means to make replete. In other words, you're kind of filling up a hole. Or you're cramming a net full. The same word was used if you were to cram a net full of fish in that day and time. Or you're leveling up a hollow place in the road to where it would be smooth. It means to furnish what is needed or to satisfy or to finish. That's what Jesus did with his earthly ministry. The signs and the miracles that Jesus performed crammed the net full, leveled up the hollow spot. It proved beyond all necessary you know, evidence that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, that he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one, chosen by God the Father to bring in hope. So since he's the chosen one, we need to look to him. In that verse, God said, he's my beloved. In that verse, he said, I'm completely pleased with him. In other words, the Father is saying, I, I think well of him. I've approved him. He's the one. He's the God-man. I have put my spirit in him, the verse said. The word put means the place in the widest application whatsoever. And because of that all being true, it took place so people would look at Jesus and say, he's the one. When 9-11 occurred, more people in our nation became religious than I've ever seen before in my life. More people were looking to Jesus during that time, right after it happened, than I can ever remember taking place. And I've been in the ministry, you know, going on 29 years this coming year. We need to do the exact same thing. 
We need to do it all the time, not just when things are bad, not just when times are tough, not just when we're down and out, not just when we're in need of hope. We need to always, always, always keep our focus on him. We can have hope today because he's the chosen one that ushers in hope. He brought hope into this world. Answer number four, why is the name of Jesus the hope of the world? Answer number four is this, Jesus brings ultimate and victorious justice. Look what's said in these verses. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Now, as we look in those verses, I'm going to break that down about three different ways as we look in those verses just to see why Justice is victorious because of Jesus being the chosen one, because of him being the Messiah, because of him being the one that come that came into this world. Not as they thought he would. They thought he would come as a warrior king, as I've already mentioned. They thought he'd come as a political figure and sit on the throne of David and chase all the enemies away from the Jews. That was their concept. That's not why he came, though, the first time. Jesus came the first time in order to bring hope and justice into this world. First of all, it's a proclaimed justice, a proclaimed justice. It said, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. The word means simply to announce or declare, but it also means this, and and, and I think it's kind of interesting. It means to bring word again. See, this world was without justice apart from Jesus. Oh, I'm not saying there was no justice whatsoever, but ultimate true justice is found in Jesus Christ, in in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So, So Jesus comes in as though he's bringing justice again. He's bringing word of justice again because of sin and its effect on mankind. It's like real perfect justice wasn't available. And he comes to bring it again. The word justice can literally talk about a trial, but it's being used here in a way that's talking about God's divine justice, God's divine law. And he gives us a picture of Jesus proclaiming it to the nations, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, foreign, you know, pagan people. And Jesus comes to proclaim it. He comes to bring word again that justice is available. Think about the 400 years that took place before Jesus came in a period of darkness between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're talking about being in a time that's depressed, (laughs) a time when there's no word from God, a a time, you know, when there's a dark cloud. You think the dark cloud looked bad at 9-11? Think about the dark cloud that was over the people of Israel over that 400 years. Now, Jesus, as had been prophesied, comes into the world. And as he does so, he is bringing hope again. To proclaim justice simply means restoring God's justice and order in this world and bringing judgment on sin through what he did on the cross. That's how real justice takes place. Think about it. It would be unjust for God to say, all right, if you commit sin, you can't go to my heaven and then never provide a way for us to overcome our sin problem. That would be injustice. 
And we're huge on justice, aren't we? I mean, you want to be treated just. We get upset when we're treated with injustice by other people. We, we try to want to have justice in our courts and things like that. That's what we strive for. But I'm just telling you, the only perfect, true, real justice took place when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. He brings word again of justice. It was also a proper justice, not just a proclaimed justice, but a proper justice. In other words, the way he went about it. Because that prophecy said he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. I mean, that's almost the opposite of what we do, isn't it? I mean, ourselves. If someone treats me wrong, I'm going to get you back. And that's almost the way our, our nation, you know, re- responded to, to, to 9-11. It's like, you know, really quick, we're going to come after you and we're going to get you back as it went after Al-Qaeda. And, and that tends to be the way we are in our human nature. But Jesus, when he came the first time, came with a justice that was based in humility. He didn't come to, to fight or to shout or, or to cause a, you know, a show out in the streets. He, he didn't come. The, the, word, the word fight means this. It means to wrangle. I don't, that word doesn't even seem like it ought to be attached to Jesus, does it? It's wrangle. I mean, just someone out just causing disruption out in the street. The, the word means to, to cause strife or to quarrel or contention. The, the reference to raising his voice means he's not out on the street causing a clamor or some type of tumult. He, he's not trying to promote himself. He's not out like maybe someone that's politically motivated saying, look at me. He would not crush the weakest reed. You know what a reed is, don't you? A reed is, is a hollow stem of a plant. It's not very hard to break that, is it? I mean, if you grab hold of some strong vine and you're trying to break it, that might be a, a little bit different. But a reed, you can just reach over and kind of snap it and pull it up. I had the blessing this week of doing some yard work. Does that bless you? And there were some things out of my yard that I knew I could just grab and I could just snap up that it, you know, try to grow up through my shrubs and things like that. That's what you can do with a reed. There are other things like some poison oak vines that had grown up in a, some shrubbery we had in the front yard that had come up inside of it, and uh, it was almost the same color. The last time I trimmed those bushes, I got poison oak, and I thought, I didn't get any poison oak, didn't see any poison oak. How'd that happen? Guess what? It was in that same bush, and I didn't know it. I couldn't just reach in and pull it up. I had to do something different. I had to get something to spray it to kill it and things like that or dig it up. And the blessing, here's a little, so this don't have anything to do with the message, but here's just to let you know the way my week has been on Thursday when I was doing that. My bean sprayer that I was using to spray the poison with, when it was under pressure, all of a sudden the tube popped off of it in my basement and sprayed me right in the face. With stump killer, Tim. Tim does, stump killer is the strong stuff. So I yell for Jared, my son, to go turn the shower on where I can go in, and then I go to the eye doctor and, you know, Thank God, you know, I just thought, well, my eyes are probably gone, you know, but, but they're not. So, I, you know, I thank God for that. But the point is, it just doesn't take a lot to break a, a reed. And that's just teaching the humility that Jesus Jesus didn't come the first time to crush anything except sin. He died for it on the cross. He, he didn't come just to be, you know, some type of, 
a, a warrior king that comes in and defeats and crushes and breaks the enemy. That's not why he came the first time. Jesus didn't come to be someone that would just be harsh. Instead, the Bible says that he wouldn't even put out a flickering candle or smoking flax, depending on your translation. And that's just some, some phrases in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, in their culture, that really meant this. It's just teaching the humility of Jesus, that he didn't come to be coarse. He didn't come to be harsh. That's not the way he came to bring justice in. He brought a proper justice based on humility. But he also brought a perfect justice. It says, finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. That phrase, cause justice in the Greek, means to eject or project forth justice. And it's talking about God's divine justice. Jesus came to ultimately bring complete victory to justice. It means to be victorious, a conquest, a complete triumph, successfully doing everything that needs to be done. See, when Jesus came, he brought perfect justice when he died on the cross for our sins. You understand there's no justice for you and no justice for me without the shed blood of Jesus other than being condemned to hell, separated from God, for all eternity because we're lost in sin. And the way God provided true justice was to do for us what we cannot do. To send His Son to pay the price that we cannot pay. That's justice. For Him to do that for us. And hopefully one day when He comes back, He's going to set up a kingdom and there will be perfect ultimate justice forever and ever and ever. All the injustice that takes place in the world, one day Jesus will set it right. All the injustice that you have faced in your life, one day when Jesus comes back, He's going to set everything completely right because through Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, in His cross, and as He comes to set up His kingdom, there's going to be a victorious justice forever. The Bible says this, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called the chosen and faithful. Also in Revelation, we find these words. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, this is the same humble Lamb of God, Jesus, that we were talking about earlier. This is when he comes back the second time to establish full justice. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but he himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he's called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. A little bit different picture, isn't it? 
He's brought justice in, but he's going to come in and set his kingdom up forever and ever and be an eternal justice. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. Um, I, I'm sorry, I kind of grin with that one whenever I read it because it says on his robe and on his thigh. I don't know if it will be or not, but if Jesus shows up with a tattoo on his leg that says King of Kings, there are going to be some people faint away. Now you're thinking, you're, you're thinking you're saying that because you've got one. Well, I've got one because it says it is finished in the Greek and it gives me the chance to witness to people. And they say, what does that word mean? Okay. But I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it will be, but I'm hoping it will be because I want to see some people's faces if Jesus shows up and he's got a tattoo right here that says King of Kings. But what we're told in, 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 in those verses, we're just told that he's, he's coming. He's going to set up his reign, his kingdom forever and ever. But justice will be victorious completely. 9-11 doesn't look a lot like justice for us. And to be honest with you, everything we've done since then, trying to wreak justice back for ourselves, has not been full justice either. But when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, there will be full forever justice. And that means you and I can have hope. We can anticipate that. We can look forward to a time when justice will be perfect forever. One last, one last answer, and then I'll close. Why is the name of Jesus the hope of the world? Answer number five is simply the meaning of Jesus' name brings hope. Verse 21 that we read a moment ago in the New Living Translation said his name will be the hope of all the world. NIV said in his name the nations will put their hope. The message says the mere sound of his name will signal hope even among far off believers. Do you understand that the very name of Jesus just by itself means hope? It gives us reasons for hope. The word name in the Greek, by the way, talks about a person's character. In other words, in the, in the Jewish way of thought, the way they would consider a name, you cannot really know the person and their personality and everything else without knowing their name. They tied those two things together. The character in the, in the name of the person. So that means the name of Jesus is very important. Guess what his name means? Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah saves. The very name of Jesus means that God has provided salvation. The very name of Jesus means that God saves. And because of his name, we ought to have hope. Because of what that means, you and I can be forgiven. You and I can spend eternity with God. Why? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, came into this world. His name means Jesus or Jehovah, or God saves. Because of that, we ought to be filled with hope. Here's some background to that, to his name. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a dream. And this is talking to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? He tells us why. He tells us why the name is chosen. For he will save his people from their sins. Look at the next verses. And behold, 
you'll conceive in your womb. Now the angel is there talking to Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and over his kingdom there will be no end. You know why there's no real fulfillment in, in, in politics, whatever, part, whatever party you're part of and whoever's in charge? The regime changes. Whoever's, you know, whatever party's in charge changes every so many years. And when it does, some people get depressed because their side didn't win. You know, every time. Hey, when Jesus comes to reign, it's going to be forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. That's why we can have hope. That's why we can trust in Him. His very name means salvation. Look at another verse. And the angel said to them, when the angels appeared after Jesus had been born, talking to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That sounds hopeful to me. Of great joy. That sounds like it's hopeful stuff to me. Which will be for all the people. That's really hopeful because I'm in that phrase. Aren't you all the people? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Simply because of the name of Jesus. I mean, I didn't even have to say all the rest of the stuff we've talked about in that text. Just because of his name, that could have been the only point of the message we need today. Just because of the name of Jesus, his name means Jehovah saves, Jehovah's salvation. Simply because of that, we can have hope. We can expect, we can, we can trust, we can hope for. It's an expectation. It's not like we say, I hope so. That's not what the word means in the Greek. It means a confident expectation, usually with pleasure attached to it. We can hope and be happy because simply what the name of Jesus means. One more thing about that name before I close. The Bible tells us one day at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow, and every tongue is going to confess. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every tongue will confess it, every knee will bow. So just in case you're of the opinion that you're never going to bow to Jesus, you will. But the only way it helps you out in light of eternity is if you do it now. Because it won't help then. That's going to be a forced confession, a forced bent knee. Right now we do it by faith. And that's what makes a difference and that's what gives us everlasting life. Our nation is in need of hope. Some of you might be in need of hope this morning. So can I ask you a question? Do you have hope? Because you should be able to have hope. Especially if you're a Christian, you ought to have hope and have it active in your life. You ought to be hopeful because you know that Jesus knows. He knows everything that you're going through. You ought to be hopeful in your life because you understand that Jesus cares. He's concerned about what you're facing. You ought to have hope in your life because He's the chosen one who brings hope into this world. 
He's the one that will bring victorious hope for it will last forever and ever and ever. So you ought to have hope. His very name means hope. So if you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to have hope. But do you have it? Do you really have hope? If you're someone that has never trusted in Christ as Savior in just a moment, if God's calling you to Himself and you understand that you're a sinner and you're willing to agree with God about that and say, God, I, I, I admit that I have sinned. It's just like you said. And God, I can't save myself. You can have hope if you'll trust in Christ. There are cultural differences sometimes between, uh, you know, nations and, uh, and, and you know, man, sometimes just communities. But uh, in America, when a lady is expecting, sometimes we tend to, we don't just, you know, when, when you're talking to her, you don't just tend to kind of look down at her belly and, and uh, say something about her being pregnant. I, I don't know. It's like we think somehow, some people think that's uncouth to do so, you know, in our culture. And all. I've learned other reasons not to say that because I have actually said that before, you know, um, and then find out the lady's not expecting that I'm really in trouble. <laughs> I didn't realize you're expecting, I'm not. I hope you have a good week. <laughs> I guess you'll be going to another church now, you know. <laughs> Pastor's dumb. But in France, it's considered the proper thing to do to actually address the issue. And it's improper if you don't address it. And the phrase that they use is this, that a man will say to a lady when he sees that she's expecting, is this, I congratulate you on your hope. You see, because the moment that woman finds out she is expecting that is what bounces around in her head from then until that baby's born the anticipation of it taking place i got a new granddad over here doug just kind of smiling about all that right now because see ken and ken and macy had just gone through that the second time and you know, there'd been this anticipation and, and, and everything like that. And she had a really bad week. I promise you this week she could not help but remember and think all the time, I am pregnant because her back was hurting her and she was sick and really had a tough week with it. But she was anticipating the joy of that baby. Which, by the way, if you were in here earlier, Ken had the audacity to break the, the, the Bansville family rule is that you only have daughters. He had a son yesterday. <laughs> but you anticipate it. Now, the reason I tell that story is this. If you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to be anticipating that day when we see Him face to face. You ought to be anticipating justice having total victory. You ought to be anticipating a day when we're completely fulfilled with hope because we see Him face to face for all eternity. But you ought to have hope right now as you anticipate, as you think about that day. So can, can I ask you another question 
before I pray and before the band comes out to play. I told you it was common courtesy in France to look at the woman that's expecting and say, I congratulate you on your hope. Can I say to all of you, I mean, can I say to you, and it be true, that I congratulate you on your hope? Because do you really have hope? Do you really know that Christ is your Savior? Let's pray. Father, Lord, right now many of us come before you in, in, in this prayer of the burdened hearts. There are people here that I know who uh, are unemployed and, and need employment. And God, many times it can be almost like it's a hopeless situation. Father, there are people here that's facing you know, financial difficulty or health problems. Lord, our, our nation is under a, a dark cloud, not a physical cloud so much like we saw in, in, the, in the film, the video that we showed right before 9-11. But, but God, there's a dark cloud over people's lives. Lord, the, the recent storms, there may be storms that are on the way, and the, the natural disasters, the tragedies that have happened there. But Father, whatever the reason might be that people are in need of hope, God, I pray that you, that you teach us and that you help us to, to remember we need to look to you. Father, I thank you that through Jesus you have brought word of hope, brought word of justice again because of him. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that he died and shed his blood and paid the price that no one else could pay for the sin of mankind, that through him, when we have faith in him, we can have everlasting life. Lord, if there's someone that needs that today, they've never said yes to Jesus, help them right now by faith just to reach out to you. Because you've already reached out to them through Jesus. God, give them the faith they need right now to find the hope that they need and the, the eternity that they need with Jesus. God, many of us here already know Christ as Savior, and we don't have any doubts about that, but many times we allow circumstances in life to rob us of hope. God, help us also to hold on to hope knowing that you know and that you care and that you're concerned. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. As the band leads us in a song, I can't distinguish exactly how God may have spoken to your heart today. And, you know, you can just write it down on the card, put it in the box, and we'll read it later. But maybe God would call you to step out and come and pray about something. You may be going through something in your life right now where you need hope. Why not just come and pray about it and talk to Him about it? To be honest with you, I think a lot of us probably need to fall on our face and pray for our nation and pray that we will turn and look to Jesus because that's where we find hope. And there may be someone here that needs hope for the first time by saying yes to Christ.
So please stand and God's peace to your heart as the band leads us. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Basement Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com. 